comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God for Palm Sunday weekend and welcome as we praise the Lord together in this holy of weeks. And praise God for the ways that he makes an eternal difference in the lives of his people, not only among us here today, but throughout the world as that message goes out and a God who meets us in his humbleness and humility of love and grace and mercy going the way of a cross. Uh, this past week, as many of you know, I just want to remind you, I do still work here. I know I've been gone for a while and, and had this incredible, incredible opportunity uh, to go with our young people uh, crossing a border. And uh, I will tell you, when it comes to the church of God, there is no wall. When it comes to what God is doing in the lives of his people to make an eternal difference. And uh, as we've returned safely after an incredible experience in Mexico, I want to begin this message today by sharing just a a few highlights of our experience that we had this past week. Where are we going? Mexico! Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me his love for me, oh his love for me, who the sun sets free, oh is free indeed, I'm a child of God, yes I God for the support and and the incredible blessing of going together and making the eternal difference in the lives of people. And like anything, if you've ever been on a trip, there's always that moment you say, I I wonder what what God is going to do. And and also, I I wonder what kind of memento I'm going to bring back as a reminder of it all. And uh, as we were walking through one of the the Mexican markets, 
I found the ultimate memento that uh, absolutely brought great joy uh, of something I needed to bring back with me, and I, I wanted to show you a picture of it right here. Um, not only is it a Mexican poncho, but it's a Minnesota Vikings Mexican poncho because nothing says joy and, and victory like a Minnesota Vikings Mexican poncho. Um, there is a point to this, and you can see I was a little happy about it. And, and I posted this on Facebook, and people said, well, did you buy it? Well, yeah. <laughs> of course, I, got, I bought it. And uh, what, what a joy. Because um, I'm reminded of this today on Palm Sunday weekend. You know, as a, a Vikings fan, uh, I, I know what it is to long for victory. And, and maybe during March Madness, uh, you had longings for victory with your team. As, uh, you know, all of the teams that entered the tournament only won one. And and there's all these moments of like, ah, and, and the desire and the crazy things that, that motivate us in the midst of, of, of the desire for victory. For, for Minnesota Vikings fans, uh, we have a chant up in Minnesota, and it's this uh, Norwegian uh, word that's the word skol, S-K-O-L. And sometimes people will ask me, what does that mean? Because maybe you've seen it on TV where they go, you know, skol, skol. And they, they go faster and faster, and it's this, this victory, kind of war victory chant that, that begins the game. And, and what does this mean? Well, ultimately, it means we're going to conquer, we're going to beat the patootie of the opponent is kind of what's behind it in Norwegian, and, and, and well, so they say, anyway. It's the longings, and by the way, I noticed last night when I started doing that, a lot more people joined me in it. Um, I would think if you're a Detroit person, it's not like you have a lot to root for here. So I'm just saying. Um, just saying. Um, but, but here's the thing. We have longings, don't we, for victory. We want things to turn out well. And, and when they don't, we wonder what's going on. And, and that's not just true in sports or something piddly like that. I mean, big deal. It's just a game. But... You know, when life goes against the grain of what we desire, whether it, it means that maybe our, our family isn't turning out the way we thought it would, things are, maybe relationships are falling apart, maybe it's financially you're in turmoil, and, and maybe that next promotion you wanted isn't turning out, or maybe your retirement plans aren't at all playing out the way you thought they'd be, maybe it's because of medical diagnosis or unexpected things that happen, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the other struggles that go on in our lives that just continue to plague us with guilt and shame and struggle and doubts and fears. And it's in those moments where we say, God, I thought that it was going to be different than this. I had longings for my life to turn out in a certain way, and it's not going that way. Where are you, Lord God? And I share all of that because I think it may help us to have a window into that first century world of, of Jesus riding in on a donkey of all things into Jerusalem. The longings of a nation, a, a people that God had said, I will bless you, I, I will be with you. I, uh, and, and they're wondering, well, where is he? Facing political oppression, facing the, uh, the, the turmoil of, of their faith and their longing for better days financially politically, as well as in their spiritual walk with God. 
They've been calling on Yahweh. They've been waiting for Yahweh to, to fulfill his promises among his people. They wonder, where is he? He's been so quiet. And yet Jesus comes. And Jesus speaks about this kingdom. And, and people start to talk about that. Could he be the one? And, and he goes around healing people. No one's done anything like that before. And then as John's gospel records then he heals this man named Lazarus, and not just heals him, he raises him from the dead after he'd been in the grave for several days. Who does that? And the crowds were gathering because they realized, finally, finally, all of these years in a lifetime of longing for better days had finally culminated in one who was the promised one. And as he walks riding, I should say, on a donkey that day, and as John points out in fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture, that that prophecy from from Zechariah that that says that here comes your king riding on a donkey. Do not be afraid, O people of Israel. And that fulfillment, and and Jesus coming in, and as they shouted, Hosanna, which literally means, uh, Lord, save us. They didn't shout skull. No, they, they shouted Hosanna, Lord save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're they're quoting a a messianic psalm that that spoke of better days, of a God who would come and bring release and freedom from the oppression of the day, right? And the problem was, though, of course, is, see, Jesus comes and he has all this seeming power over things and ability to change circumstances. And and so their hopes for better days politically and nationally and that there was going to be a a new day and a new reign. And and yet then just some days later, this same one who comes riding in in what seems to be such great glory would die a criminal's death. How does that fit into the story? How does that fit into your story? When God doesn't show up to change your circumstances, when, when God seemingly doesn't do anything to, to make your life better, like, where's God in that? And our expectations are waving, like, Lord, save us! And our arms start to grow tired because we're like, well, where, where's that circumstantial rescue we're wanting and, and things to be better for us and life to go according to what we want? And, the script we would write, because after all, if it happened, we would give him praise and honor and glory. We would. And, and yet, how come he's not turning it around? Maybe you're there today, and your arm is getting tired. You know, the people's arms, they got tired that day too. Especially as the story takes a turn. Unexpected to them, and yet very expected to the one who comes. Because as we're reminded throughout the scriptures in the prophetic word that tells of a suffering servant, the one that we dwelt in and spent time with over these days of Lent is the one who enters Jerusalem not as a king of glory, no, but rather as a suffering servant who would go the way of death. And of all places on a criminal's cross, where does that make sense? And yet in God's economy, in God's way, it makes total sense. As he would say through the word of Paul, who would be later inspired to write, he'd say, Christ, who being in the very nature of God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being, a, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And of all things for him to also remind us in your relationships with one another had the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Like, why? No, I, I want to do life the way I want to do life. I want things to go my way. I want everything to fall into place. And God says, I've actually come to accomplish something even greater than just granting you what you want. No, I've come to give you what you need. To humble myself as one who dies in your place, who pays the ultimate price of your sin, who ultimately goes the way of death to overcome the brokenness and the despair of our reality today, the greatest need we had. And it would cost him everything, and it was according to his plan and his purposes to humble himself in that kind of way. It's hard to grapple with that sometimes. And yet it is our greatest need and a fulfillment of what we long for. On our trip to Mexico, and of all the people we met along the way, one of the, the dear people that I had heard about from my daughters who had been down there several times, my oldest, this was her fourth trip to Mexico, her first time she came back and she says, Dad, I want to be a missionary. I mean, just the impact that this trip has, and it's What's unique about it is it's a short-term trip that has a, a long-term impact, not just coming in, coming back, and going on with life, but rather as students return year after year, they build relationships with individuals and people and children and families. And one of those individuals that I, I had longed to meet was a lady by the name of Sister Yaya. Uh, not Lady Gaga, but Sister Yaya. Um, that's supposed to be funny. Um, and... Sister Yaya um, lives in a very run-down neighborhood. I, I remember, and actually we have a picture when we approached her house, and, and she had stepped out, and, and here she is in front of her home, and, and I, I remember just thinking, like, well, who, who doesn't take care of the property like this? I mean, this is, why, why don't you just clean things up a little bit? I'm just in my mind kind of judging her, like, come on. And then, then I learned she was blind, uh, which I guess that changes things a little bit, but at the same time, like, how... How do you live like this, right? And, and, and here she is, this sweet, dear lady, inviting us into her home unannounced. We, she didn't know we were coming. She said, no, no, come inside. And, and, and I learned part of her story at, that she once was a nightclub singer and, and, and had lost her eyesight and, and, and now was selling peanuts on the street corner. She, she'd go buy peanuts at the grocery store and then she goes and she stands in the street corner and, and sells peanuts. That's how she makes a living. And, and as we went into her house, here's a, a view, a one-room house. Um, this is kind of one of the nicer sections. This is her, her bed in the corner of the room. You, you get a, a glimpse of how dirty it is. Uh, you don't see the floor. The floor is all broken, um, broken, just messed up, uneven dirt and concrete. And, and the house is cracked. It, it clearly leaks. It's, it's just a mess. I'm thinking, how, how can anybody live like this, right? Because I'm thinking, I, I've, I know better. I, I know what life is all about. I know what it is to, uh, to live. And then she started singing. There's a video of that. 
grandes cosas él hará, el Dios poderoso. Tengo la bocina estudiando, ya le bajé. Now she, she sang for us, and then as we gathered as a group and got to hear more of her story and, and to realize, you know, she had been a, an unbeliever for many, many years, and, and yet God had met her in despair, in the loss of her eyesight, that through the ongoing witness of the local church and people like Pastor Raphael that lives just a few blocks away in that mission site, and in the interactions as he would continue to visit her and, and, and love her with the love of Christ and, and her rejection of all of that. And, and then to find out it, what actually led her to faith was when a group of young people from our church had come down some years ago and had come over to her house to help fix things up and, and they offered her, they said, can we clean your bathroom? Just think about that. You see how disgusting the rest of the house is? Can you imagine going into the bathroom of a blind lady? And students that said, we want to clean your bathroom. And what I found out from the pastor as part of her story was is that that simple act of being willing to clean a bathroom is what actually broke down all the barriers in her life to realize if a student from America is willing to come and clean my bathroom, This must be the real God. And she came to faith in Christ through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit working in her life, but what broke down those barriers was humility and love and service. What she told us as we talked with her is just her appreciation and love. And she says, what matters to me and what matters to all of us It's not all the things you bring us, because we did. We brought a lot of gifts. We brought a lot of things that we think are important. She says, I have everything I could ever need and everything I could ever want and more. Because every day God provides for me, I am not in want. I am not in need. And it's then I realized I was on holy ground and I was unworthy to be standing in this house. Because this woman knows more about what it means to trust in the Lord than I do. And I would also suggest that in that place of humility and in that place of whole, whole trust, her daily provision is also a simple faith and a simple understanding of a God who comes not in glorious ways, not in ways of what we expect or what we want and everything's got to be so-so and everything in our control. No, a God who comes in humble ways as a servant. A God who meets us in our despair, meets us in that place, and he doesn't always change our circumstances. He doesn't. And I would add, often he doesn't at all. But rather, he meets us there and he changes our minds. He changes our hearts as he rescues our soul with hope and joy as a servant who meets us in simple places, in simple ways through his word. To bring about a simple reliance and a simple joy that isn't based in the glory, but rather in the humility of a cross and a Savior who comes to suffer and die and meet his people in humility. You know, as we enter this holy of weeks, let me encourage you, don't miss that. Don't jump ahead to Easter. Oh, I can't wait. But may we not miss out 
on the humility of a Savior who meets us right where we are. Praise Him for that. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we thank You for the gift of life and love that You come to bring. Not in the ways we often expect, not in the ways often we think we want, or even the ways we think we need. Lord, You come in humility, and You come as a servant, willing to clean up the ugliness of our sin in the disgustingness of it all. And yet you don't come as judge, you come as savior and lover of souls. Lord, we thank you for that gift and that holy ground of these days in which we live where you meet us with your presence. So may we be humbled through it as well, we pray. As your people called by your name in Jesus, amen.